Well, um, good morning, first of all. <laughs> it's like, I got a lot of stuff I want to say. And it's like, well, don't skip by the good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. We tell people every week, when, you know, when you've gone through a rough week and you walk through those doors to come in here, that's called victory. Because you've uh, whatever challenges you face, the devil's probably tried to tell you it's not worth coming. But you know it was. So victory is when you walk through these doors. We ask God now to continue to be victorious, victorious right? And, and I'm going to uh, say this. I've, I've been thinking about a lot, preaching as I'm going through James. And this week it was like, there's stuff i got to say. And, it's like, and then I realized that like, God was pu- pulling us all together. Because as I'm looking around right now, I feel like, like this world's getting worse. I feel like, you know, you look at the globe and it's like, I think it's, it's broken. I think our world is cracked and shattered and falling apart. And God, where's your big band-aid at? Because we need something to pull us together. And I'm sure it happens every day. But for the first time in 31 years of me living in Wauseon, I saw something I've not seen. I saw a group of kids fighting, circling up, and other kids coming up and kicking into the pile. And it got out of hand, and it was like, I've, I've never seen I've seen on TV. I've never seen it here. I'm sure think, I, fights happen all the time. But I've never seen it like that before. And, and I, was, I was sitting there thinking, what's, what's going on? What's going on in this world? Have we lost our minds? Have we lost our ability to, to show love? And compassion to each other? Last April, Minneapolis, a sixth grader found his dad's 9mm handgun at home, loaded it up, took it to school with him. Little school outside Minneapolis, Plymouth Middle School. He walked through the hallways, positioned himself in the middle of the hallway, pulled out the gun, aimed up into the ceiling, and started pulling the trigger. People scattered. Kids were running everywhere in fear and terror. His goal was to commit suicide that day. He'd written in a spiral notebook. He said this, I hope my death makes more sense than my life. And he had hoped that a police officer would charge into the school and shoot him. He was hoping for suicide by cop is what he called it. Because he thought it was a sin to kill himself. So he thought, I'll make sure somebody else kills me, but I want to die. How horrific. That incident, though, was part of a surge in school shootings this last spring, and I'm going to guess that many of us didn't know all the school shootings that took place last spring. In a three-month period, 14 school shootings. Washington Post Post looked at that. I, I clicked on each one like it was during school hours, it was on school grounds, there was a shooting, and, and, and some people were killed, some people were injured. I never heard about it. Oh, because everything else that was going on in this world, what used to be at the front with the school shooting is now uh, it's back hidden in the papers. And the question is then, why the surge? Why the anger? Why the violence? Why the depression? What is going on in this world? So a researcher believes the answer is trauma. And according to a nationwide society done by the Barna Research Group, you may have heard that group before, they did a study and, and, and they checked this out. They said 82% of Generation Z, that's our kids, have reported experience at least one traumatic event in their lives. And many teens, it's 
it was something that happened maybe during the early early years of their lives. But what they're saying and what they're discovering now is it was the pandemic. And I'm not sure if, if, if we as parents and teachers and coaches and leaders understand the toll that this pandemic put upon our young people. In addition to the emotional roller coaster, the restrictions, the mandates, that you can no longer do this. This has been taken away from you. You have to act this way. It did an incredible amount of damage on our young people, and we didn't realize it. And the, the reality is that there is trauma all over this world at every age. Many of you, and I'm not going to strike that. All of you in this room have experienced trauma in the last year. Whether it's the pandemic, whether it's you're looking at what's going on in Afghanistan, whether you've lost a loved one, whether you look at the surging southern border or the riots in the major cities or other violent actions that you've seen or financial struggles, whatever it may be, each and every one of us in here have experienced some kind of trauma in one sort of way or another. And because we have all these multiple sources out there reporting on news things, it's like we're thrown into even a higher position of anxiety because we don't know if it's true or not. So we listen to it and we get amped up and think, but I think it's true, but then we hear something else and our hearts just beat at a speed it shouldn't beat, right? And then we begin to sink in this pool of emotions. And we're pulled under by fear and anxiety and stress and anger, and sorrow, and more. And the question is, church, and I'm sorry to come off on a down. This is, this is going to be like a roller coaster. We just, took the, we just took the long, you know what I'm saying, at the top of the roller coaster, and we're just like, okay, can we get over this part? We're getting there. The question is, how do we cope? I mean, through all of this, I mean, I'm going to have to guess that many of you sitting out here this morning have probably asked this question. Where are you, God? And we, we all know God is here. Right? And, and, and it's like, okay, I know God's in charge. But the question is, how do I keep going now? God, I, I want to trust you. But how can I trust you when it hurts so much? When I'm confused? When, when I don't, I'm looking at this world. It ain't getting better. At least in my opinion. So God, what, what do we do with this? How do we trust you? And, and what if I doubt? Because if I doubt, does that mean I'm lesser than of a Christian? Is it a sin to doubt? I, I'm embarrassed to say that maybe I didn't trust God on this one. And I don't want people to know because they'll think lesser of me as a Christian. Or maybe I'm not a Christian because I doubt. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But right where you're sitting, I want you to think about this. Who in this room has experienced difficulties, high emotions, anxiety, near-death experiences, death in the family, pain. You know, I'm not a Holocaust survivor. I, I did not storm the beaches of Normandy in World War II and survive. I am not a 9-11 attack survivor. I, I can't even imagine those people that went through those kind of horrific situations and survived. But I have experienced pain. And what I know to be true is this. If you want to compare, you'll always find somebody that's had it better or worse than you. But the truth is, pain is pain. And we've all experienced it. And we are currently experiencing it.
and tragedy, physical challenges, emotional distraught, we've all tasted it. The question is, how do we cope? We need peace, don't we? We need some hope. That's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to share with you some hope and what to do in the midst of all of this right now. So let's start with this. I don't know if you remember the show 24, Jack Bauer. Okay. Now, if you've ever watched that show, I'm going to tell you about this show right now. Don't. Okay. <laughs> because you won't be able to sleep. You watch one episode and you're going to be hooked. You're going to watch the next one. And you're not going to be asleep because your, your heart's going to be racing so much. Because the show is basically based off of this guy who within a 24 hour period, um, diverts, you know, and saves humanity from a nuclear disaster of some sort. And it's like from 7 to 8 a.m., then 8 to 9 a.m., and 9 to 10 p.m. It's, just, it's an hour synchrony each week, and there's a little clock that ticks during the show. And it's like, okay, then it goes to a commercial. Like, well, what happened during the commercial? I'll tell you right now. They go to the bathroom and they eat because they never show them eating or going to the bathroom or i got to go to the men's room. That never happens in the, in the show. So, yeah, anyway, so that's what happens during commercial. But that show, you know, I, I was thinking about this. It is a very hyped-up show, but in 24 hours, you're going to see a tremendous amount of anxiety and, 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 and craziness and fear and death. and Oh, man. Grab your Bibles. Open them up to Luke chapter 8. I want to take you through a 24-hour period with Jesus. And we're only going to spend about five minutes here, maybe, somewhere around there, in this passage. And I'm not even going to reference it. We're going to start in verse 22. But this... 24-hour episode of Jesus puts Jack Bauer to shame. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, it's like what Jesus, what he goes through is incredible. And it all starts with Jesus and his disciples getting in the boat. Now, the picture up on the screen is, again, nobody knows what it looked like back then. They, all kinds of renderings from artists. But I like this picture because this picture, actually, you can see other boats in the background. Every time you read about Jesus getting in the boat and there's a storm, you think it's them. They're the only ones out in the, in the lake or the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee that they're crossing. But it says in another account, in, in I think it's in Matthew, there's other uh, gospel recordings, the same story. It says other people got in their boats and they tried to follow Jesus. So there's other boats that were out there too. That's why I chose this picture in case you're wondering. Okay, so here's what happens. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Also called a lake. It's sort of confusing, right? But while Jesus is napping because he's tired, okay, it's been a long day already, a fierce storm, fierce meaning a tempest, whirlwind, water spouts. It isn't just like, a, ooh, the winds are strong. Water's coming into the boat. They're thinking they're going to sink. This is a crazy storm, okay? He wakes up because the disciples wake him up, and they're like, don't you care? Which I love that part of the story because it's like, hey, God, don't you care? It's like, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So I think God cares. Uh, yeah, I'm here because we love you. Um, but don't you care that we're about ready to die? And Jesus, what? He rebukes the storm and then he looks at his disciples like, you guys have little faith. I got this. He's like, peace, be still. You know, boom, no more waves, no more wind, no storm. Well, they're all wet, obviously, and they get to the other side of the lake. They get out of the boat, and as they get out of the boat, it goes on to say in this scripture that this naked, demon-possessed man, this insane, crazy, cuts himself, all that kind of stuff, comes charging at Jesus, okay? You just got out of a really bad storm, a traumatic experience. You thought you were going to die. Step onto the shore, and then you see this coming at you. Nobody wants to picture that. And as he's come at you, he falls at the feet of Jesus 
And he's like, son of most high God, what do you want? That demon, remember what James said in James chapter 3? Even the demons believe in God. And what? They shudder. This demon-possessed man falls at the feet of Jesus as what? Son of the most high God. Because he knows who Jesus is. And he falls at him and says, don't torture us. Send us off over these pigs and up on this, up on this hill is this herd of, of hundreds, if not thousands of pigs. And Jesus says, all right. And he tosses the demons out of the demon-possessed man, invades the pigs. The pigs do a swan dive into the water and die. The farmers are like, those are our pigs. They go into town and tell the town. The townspeople come out. They're all angry-like and like, what's going on? They look at Jesus. They look at the man and says, the man is completely clothed and sane. He's got it all together. He's been freed. He's been healed. And they're like, this is, this, is, this is eerie. Get out of here. Jesus goes back across the lake, but he tells the man who was possessed by a demon, who wants to go with Jesus, stay here. This is your mission field now. You've been saved. So do something right here with your family first. And it made me wonder. Jesus crossed that lake through that storm to do what? Save one man. He'll do anything for one. If you ever think you're the only one, just remember this. He'll do anything for you. He'll cross any lake, any sea, any storm. Just come to you. Back to the story. Jesus gets back to where he started. Everybody's there waiting for him, including Jairus, this, this local synagogue leader. And he's like, my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, um, she's dying. Can you, can you come with me and heal her? She's like, hey, guys, let's go. Now, again, put yourself in the shoes of these disciples during this whole situation. We're still within 24 hours here, okay? So as they're going, there's a woman who's been suffering from bleeding. Now, she's been bleeding now for about 12 years, constant bleeding. There's no cure. There's no hope. No doctor can help. She's physical pain. She's emotional pain because she's been ostracized from everybody by society, right? And she's thinking, if I just touch the robe of Jesus, I'll be healed. So she's like, People are pressing against Jesus. She's going to reach in and she knows right away she's healed. She's taking care. She's like, I'm okay. And Jesus knows right away that power has gone out from him. And she's like, whoa, whoa, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, Jesus, this is a crowd. A lot of people are bumping up against you. Everybody's touching you. It's just sort of happening here. He's like, no, no, no. And this woman, it says, remember how the insane, crazy man fell at the feet of Jesus? It says this woman fell at the feet of Jesus. And she's like confessing, like, I, I'm the one that touched you because I believe that you could heal me. And she's like, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So she gets up and goes. She gets up and goes. Meanwhile, the servant comes over and says, don't worry, Jesus, about coming to the house of Jairus anymore. Um, the little girl's passed away. And she's like, oh, no, we're still walking. I'm still within my 24 hours. I got something to show Jack Bauer, right? So Jesus keeps on walking. And as he's walking, they get to the house. The house is full of people who are crying because, well, that's what we do when, when somebody, it, you know, it, it hurts. And, and there's all these hurting people. And there's some people that were paid to be there to, to hurt. And, and Jesus walks in. He's like, you guys can go. I don't know why you're crying. And they're like, that's why we're crying. He's like, I know, go. And they go. And he reaches over and he touches the little girl and brings her back to life. Now, if we're reading this uh, out of Luke 8, we're like, okay, well, that's it. Well, that is it for the day if you're reading Luke 8. But again, remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, there's these synoptic gospels. There's a lot of times you'll find the same stories. 
just written by different authors, so you got maybe a little more perspective. If you if you were going over to uh, let's say Matthew chapter nine, well, that day continued. Jesus is now on the way to the house where he's going to stay that night, and as he's going, two blind men are following behind Jesus to the house, calling out his name, right? And Jesus is like turns around, touches their eyes, blind men can see, like. That's cool, right? Okay, that doesn't happen every day. And then he goes in the house. Oh, and then a, a demon-possessed man who can't speak enters into the house too, just barges right in. And he's obviously not yelling because he can't speak, but he's possessed by demons. And Jesus like, I got this one too. Tosses the demons, and the man can start talking again and start praising God. All within 24 hours, less than actually. Wow. So when it comes to you and I sitting in these chairs today saying, I don't know if God can relate to the trauma that I'm experiencing in my life. Did you just walk with the disciples for the last 24 hours and see what they went through? Death, pain, storms, demon possession, insanity, blindness, death. I mean, it's, it's all around him all the time. How, how can he handle all that, right? I mean, after a day like that, if it was me, okay, if it was me, if I'm one of the disciples, and after a day like that, I'm sitting in the, in the house with Jesus and I'm going, hey, Jesus, how about after what we just saw today, how about we just leave this insane, crazy, eerie, spooky, broken, painful planet and do that little heaven thing you talked about? Can we go now? Didn't we just sing when we all get to heaven? Do you think maybe the disciples like, hey, guys, when we all get to heaven, let's sing it now. Jesus, we're good. Ready? You just take us right now. I actually, there it is. In the back, when we were singing that song, I wrote the top of this page, I put funeral songs. And one of them is Ain't No Grave. You guys already know that song is one of my favorites, okay? But when we all get to heaven, I wrote it down. I said, I want that song. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to heaven. Mm. And as we sang that song, some of us were probably caught up in emotion thinking about those that, like, some family member we've lost. Like, they're there now. Someday we'll be there too. And I'm sure the disciples are sitting around saying, hey, Jesus, can we just leave this broken, painful planet right now? And, or maybe this second thing I wrote down that maybe they said was, hey, Jesus, if this is what this world is like, and the exit plan isn't right now, will you give us the hope and the strength we need for every day? Because we're going to need it. After what we just experienced and saw, we're going to need you every day, every step. And I think Jesus shows us in that scripture how hard life is. How painful, how emotionally draining life can be. And will be. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just snap his fingers, and boom, new heaven, new earth, here we are. That hasn't happened. Not yet, anyway, right? With all that in mind, with what we've talked about so far, turn your Bibles to the book of James chapter 5. James chapter 5. In James 5, the brother of Jesus, James, is encouraging us, says, hey, while you're in this world, hey, while you are waiting for Jesus to come back, and remember, James James has written this after his brother Jesus has died and ascended into heaven. So he's like, hey, you know, until he comes back, I got a suggestion here what we should be doing. Okay? How we're going to live by his spirit, how we're going to follow his commands. So starting in verse uh, 7, 
It says this. Hey, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the Christians. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Verse 9 goes on to say, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great suffering. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So he's looking at us Christians. James is like, hey, brothers and sisters, I'm talking to you. So this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. This is for you. First of all, he says this, be patient. Be patient. I know you're under a lot of pain. I know you got stress. I know life is challenging for you. Please be patient as you wait, what? For the Lord's return. Because see, when Jesus returns, everything gets good. And right now in a broken world where it doesn't seem so good, just be patient until he makes it good. Persevere. Endure the misfortunes and troubles. Be patient in times of injuries and offenses when you're offended. Be patient in those trials and when things are just, you know, be patient. Be, be slow in avenging. You're not the avenger here. Be slow in avenging. Be slow in, 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 in your anger and slow to punish. And then James points out this. He goes, be patient uh, like the farmer. Because again, you know, you're in an agricultural situation. Let's look to the guys who can give us a good example. Look at the farmer. Think about this. He plants the seed, and then what does he do? He waits. It's not like he just drops some Alka-Seltzer in a glass of water, and the fizzes happens. He's like, oh, something's happening. You plop that seed, cover it up with the soil. You've got to call it a season of growing where you don't see anything. And then you have a season of growing and maturing when you start to see something happening. And then you've got a season of harvest. But you've got a couple seasons in there when you're not seeing much. And James says, like the farmer, be patient. Something's happening, you just can't see it. While you're depending on things that are, by the way, out of your control and power. Because the farmer has no control over his crops whatsoever. He can't reach out and stretch the stalk, extend the vine. He can't. That's out of his control. He can't get rain to come down or the sun to shine. That's out of his control. Be patient when things are out of your control. Be patient during those seasons when it doesn't seem like anything is happening, but it actually is. Be patient because it does no good to give up. Be patient because you really have no other option. We don't. And he goes, so take courage. Jesus is going to return. Just like there's going to be a harvest for the farmer, Jesus will return. Oh, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So while you're waiting, look what he says in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, wait, while you're waiting, don't grumble about each other. Hey, brothers and sisters, quit complaining to each other. Quit barking at each other or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. It's the, that, isn't that what happens when you, we are emotionally distraught? We're easily agitated and we're like, we just want to yell at anybody and everybody, right? It's sort of what happened and James recognizes that. He says, I know difficult times, we just sort of lose it. Even with our own Christian brothers and sisters and the people around that don't know Christians or they, they're not a Christian but they look at Christians and they're like, 
you guys all get angry with each other. Why would I want that faith, right? James reminds us, listen, we cannot become grumblers and complainers in hardship or you will be judged. Did you catch that, by the way? Not a might be. We will be judged for our actions, for our words, for our attitudes. And when I looked at this word judged, it says to be condemned. And I was like, okay, I want to know what that means. Well, that means that I am found guilty of eternal punishment. I want to know more. So I looked up this word. You know what it means? It means to be damned. And it's like, ooh, did he just use a cuss word? Growing up, that's a cuss word. You don't use that word. Right? That's the way I was raised. You do not use this word. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot today. A lot of people use it all the time. And it's like, hey, whatever. But here's the thing. The word, the original meaning of this is basically saying you belong in hell. See, when I condemn somebody, when I judge somebody, when I damn somebody, I'm saying you belong in hell. I've put myself on a seat that only God deserves. I put myself in a throne that only God owns. I put myself in a position that basically looks at anybody and says, I'm telling you where you deserve. That is not for me or you to do. And that's what this word means. And so if I'm throwing that word around, I've taken God's job. I am not just, I am not worthy to have that job. And I look at that word, I'm thinking, wow. I mean, there's a lot of words that people use say, they don't understand why they use them. They just say it because, well, I heard somebody else say it. I heard somebody else say it. It's like, guard your lips. Because some of the things we say, we do not realize the meaning behind them. And this one, think about it. When you use it, you are claiming a superior position that belongs only to a superior and almighty God. You don't belong or able to even use that word. We're not qualified. We're not, we're not qualified to say, you deserve heaven, you deserve hell. I'm not qualified for that. Not at all. And, and look what James says. He goes, the judge is standing at the door. You know the one who is qualified? <laughs> He's right here. Jesus is just like standing there saying, I'm the one who can tell you who's going to heaven and hell. And by the way, there's a couple of different judgments, and we know about that. You know, it's like, well, that's why I want to make sure I got things right with God, because I don't want to end up in hell. Okay, yes, but there's another, there's another judgment too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, says this. It says, for, for we must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Listen, Jesus is going to judge us for how we grumble about each other. In light of this, I cannot allow hardship, difficulty, and pain to give me an excuse to be unloving towards others. I can't. I can't. James gives us the examples. He says, okay, listen, there's a lot of people who have suffered. You think you're the only one? Look at the prophets. So James points us back to the prophets. He goes, verse 10, For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So he's like, oh, let me talk about the prophets. Well, there's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, was uh, put in stocks. He was thrown into prison. He was put into a, a very miry dungeon, uh, or dungeon and he was, he was persecuted for ministry. Ezekiel, the same. Go through one prophet after another. And here's the thing. As much as God honored and loved his people, he allowed them to be afflicted, to be persecuted, to be vilified. 
to be criticized, to be persecuted by men. It, what did Jesus say about this? Okay, so Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verses eleven to twelve, says this: God blesses you when you when people mock you and persecute you, and they lie about you, and they say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted the same way. Even Jesus goes, remember the ancient prophets? They were, they were persecuted because of what they believed. And if you are being persecuted for what you believe, praise God, you're blessed. If you're the only one that goes to your school and stands outside a flagpole and prays at you at the pole, God bless you. Be happy about it. If you're the only one on your team or in your classroom that loves Jesus and is afraid, isn't afraid to say it, God bless you. If you're being persecuted because you wear a Jesus shirt or at work people make fun of you because you have faith, God bless you. We are so like, oh, people are going to make fun. God says, no, that's okay. That's good. Jesus says, God bless you. Be happy about it. You know why? Because you have taken on the face of Jesus. For the one who was put up on the cross and persecuted, you're doing nothing but being Christ-like. And he honors you for that. He blesses you for that. Do not be ashamed of your faith. Do not be ashamed. Charles Spurgeon, you know, he said this because he was thinking about Job too. Because James goes, well, look at Job. Oh, look at everything he went through. He lost so much. Why would God allow that to happen to Job? It just doesn't make sense. Charles Spurgeon said this about Job. I'll put a a quote up. It's a really long one. Perhaps the greatest end intended by the Lord was to use Job as a lesson to us, the church. When we understand that God has a good purpose, even painful things are put into a different perspective. For instance, if a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife... I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open, even wider than the knife attacker, because I know the purpose is good and necessary. Both come at you with a knife. I have no idea what the purpose is, but the purpose of God is like the purpose of a surgeon, to help us, not to hurt us. And when it comes down to it, this world is definitely messy and painful, isn't it? But the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. If you look at the very last verse of verse 11, it talks about God being full of mercy and being full of kindness and compassion. And there's a a great preacher. He was looking at the scripture and he said, "I, I wish I could read all the original Greek for this, for this word. He goes, The Lord is very pitiful, and it sounds sort of remarkable to me, but it literally means that the Lord has many bowels, digestive system, or bowels, or a great heart, so it indicates with great tenderness. So I'm thinking, i got to look up this word, because now I'm intrigued by what they're saying. And and I've heard this before, and I've known this before from past studies and as a pastor, that, you know, we always say, I love you with all my heart. Well, Old Testament, I love you with all my stomach or my bowels. And we're like... You love me with your digestive system. That sounds really weird, okay? But their seed of emotion came from a different place. It's from their gut is where their, their seed of emotion was coming from. So when you look at this word, and, uh, and I don't want to botch it up too much, the uh, Palus, um, 
Splogness is, is the word of, and like I said, I'm totally blotching this one up, okay? Um, but poly means many and which, and then the splogness, the second part of the word, basically is the Greek word for the intestines or the bowels, okay? So as, as you think about that, Paul's using this, actually use it often. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, Philippians chapter 1, Philemon 1, basically it has to do with tender emotions, an inward affection. It's like, from my gut, I have so much compassion for you, right? And so when you're looking at different scripture, Matthew 14, 14, it says, Jesus saw the large crowd, and he had compassion. That's splogness right there. It said, Mark 1, 41, moved with compassion, splogness, okay? Moved his gut. Jesus reached out and touched him, said, I'm willing, and he healed the person. Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw the crowd as he stepped out the boat and filled with compassion, splogness. He looked and he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, and he taught them. Luke 7, 13 to 15, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. It's like, throughout Scripture, it's like, the gut, and it's like, it's right here, this compassion, in every example that I'm reading through, it was Jesus filled with compassion. And who is Jesus? He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. So who is God? God is a God of compassion. And His Son, Jesus, showed us that compassion. And now His Spirit resides in who? Us. We have the ability to show that same compassion to others in this broken world. I don't know why God chose this word to describe compassion. There's, you know, bowels of compassion, the digestive system. Oh, that's weird, God. But like James is saying, man, this makes, what do we say? It makes me sick to my stomach when I see these things. Did you ever say that? Splog us. That's where our compassion should be coming out of. Instead of sick to my stomach, we should be filled with compassion. James is saying, this world's crazy. It's dark. It's chaotic. It's broken. But don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus will return. Listen, he's at the door. He's going to return. Until he returns, do not give up. Don't be complaining and arguing with each other. Just drop it. Instead, show compassion to those who need compassion. Stop judging. That's, that's God's job. Let God do the judging. We'll do the loving. Okay? And listen, you're not the only one. Like James is saying, you're not the only one experiencing persecution. You're not the only one being made fun of. Look back at the prophets. Look at the list of men and women who went through history feeling the whip, feeling the lashes from the other people's tongues. Instead, be filled with compassion. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, listen very carefully. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Now, his disciples, after all they saw with Jesus, they're there with Jesus. He ascends into heaven. And as he goes into heaven, he said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you my spirit. So while I'm preparing heaven for you, I'm giving you a part of me. And I'm giving you a job. I want you to go sit in your church once a month, maybe twice a month, if you're really good, three, four times a month, and just sit there and consume. That's all I want you to do. Is that what he said? Mm-mm. 
He said, I've got a job for you. I want you to go make disciples. That was to all of us. You know, someone's like, well, I can't. Yes, you can. You got God's spirit in you. We are called to go and make disciples. And, and, you know, first service maybe had a little over 100 people in here. And we have 100 people. That's 200 people. What if 200 people in our church, maybe 300 people, went out and discipled one person? You know what that means? If you're good with math, now we're anywhere between four and 600 people who are loving Jesus. And what if they go on and disciple another person? That's 800 to 1,200 people loving Jesus. God's given us a mission. Not to whine and complain, not to judge others, but to be filled with compassion, to be hopeful for his return. Yes, we live in a broken world. What are you doing about it? Sitting and soaking and complaining does nothing. He says, I'm giving you my spirit. Go make disciples. Go show them that compassion that I have and I'm giving it. You, you want to see the world changed? All of us sit around like, I wish this world was different. Well, God wants to use you. It starts with you, not the person next to you, not the person who is out there. I'm going to sign up for GPS and Tupas. They can change the world. What are you going to do? Are, are you worried about our kids in their school? Are, are, does that even bother you that, that our kids are growing up in, the, in a culture where things are very flippant as to where they were a few years ago? I mean, if you really care and you really want God to do something about it, then be at the church. Serve, pray, get a part of every man and warrior, women's Bible study, GPS, two paws, the list goes on. Until the Lord returns, we have a duty, not just to sit and consume, but to serve and save. A commissioning to serve. It may be spiritually dark outside. Evil may be rearing its head, but church, we are already victorious. If you walked in this door this morning and you're already facing some troubles in your life, you have already tasted victory. So what are you going to do about next? Be patient. While we're waiting for this story to unfold, be patient. But while you're being patient, what does God want you to do? Until he returns, what are we going to do? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, thank you for your grace and mercy. In this broken world, there's nothing more than I want to do than complain. Look at the news like, oh, Jesus, oh. And I do. Because I want it to be different. But God, until you send Jesus Christ back, until your son returns, I'm here. And so is everybody else in this room. And so is everybody else who's watching. So God, while we are waiting, you've given us marching orders. Make disciples. So God, give us the power and the strength to do that. As we are patiently waiting your return, we're not to be grumblers and judges. Instead, we're supposed to be spreading the good news. Oh, we've got good news. We've got hope. In painful moments, we can find peace. In sorrow, we can find joy. And it's challenging at times, but you really are a good God full of compassion. And you've given us your spirit. Oh, God, I thank you for this church. God, would you please touch us right where we're at right now, this church. Would you please fill us with your spirit? Speak to us, God. God, if there's somebody in this room right now, and they've never surrendered their life to you, like, I need Jesus. Right now, let them fully confess. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my bad choices. Come into my life. Cleanse me, Lord. Forgive me. Take away my sins. I want to be new. 
Heal me, just like you healed all those people in the Bible. I'm confessing with my mouth right now, Lord, that I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And I'm confessing right now that I need you. Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Not just my Savior who saves me, but my Lord. Just pray that right now. And if you're in this room, it's like, I'm, I am I am a Christian. I am saved. Then ask God to ignite you. We've all experienced sorrow and pain. Let God heal you so you can be a witness for him. You know what it feels like to go through. We all know what it feels like to go through pain. And we don't want anyone else to have to feel that way. We want them to know the peace that we have and the joy that we have. So ask God to heal you and help you share the truth with others. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you for being a mighty God. We want to sing to you now, God. In thy name we pray. Amen.